curling up in bed with a favorite book is nice. But I think women would rather curl up with their favorite man. However, here's the thing. About half of men over 40 do experience some degree of erectile dysfunction. Well, gentlemen, relax. Ciagra helps guys with ED get and keep an erection. And remember, you only take it when you need it. Ask your doctor if your heart is healthy enough for sex and or watching your baseball team. Do not take Ciagra if you take nitrates for chest pain as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure or Robinson Cano's fantasy output. To avoid long-term injury, seek immediate medical help for an erection lasting more than four hours. Stop taking Ciagra and call your doctor right away if you experience a sudden decrease or loss of vision or hearing when reviewing your fantasy baseball playoff scores. So guys, do the right thing. Ask your doctor about Ciagra. Brought to you by the Jacks. Wax packs. Welcome to Atlas Bot, a weekly chronicle concerning the mundane, weird, and maybe even sometimes dramatic happenings of a simple fantasy baseball league. This podcast captures the thoughts and musings of Greg, Joe, Jack, and Tim, four of the ten owners in the league. This is episode 23, entitled, A Dark Turn. Welcome, Bockers, to episode 23. With me tonight, Jack Swagger. Jack, how are you doing? I am here. How you doing? I'm doing better than you are, for sure. <laughs> Low key, good evening. I'm fine. Okay, so uh, maybe I don't even have to go over the games. I think we know what's going on. So in the first week of playoffs, remember, Bockers, this is best of three. We're going to just cut down. So there are two games uh, going in the playoffs right now. We have Reardon Metal and Lethal Injection. Lethal Injection, this is the definition of squeaking one out. 55.5 to 55.35 Lethal Injection wins. This is a tough one. I mean, Joe, you got the 1.5 home field advantage point. It just wasn't enough this was a great comeback on sunday we thought this game was going to be a blowout for most of the week and you made it close but does a moral victory make you feel any better i don't think so oh god no no that's a heartbreaker first of all you hate to lose that first game it's not the worst result i could have hoped for i had i had a strong performance again my pitching staff did well again so oh yeah i can hope that continues but by losing that first game there's no margin for error if if my pitching staff implodes i could be in a big pile of trouble he's put 115 points up over the last two weeks i'm, I'm not sure he can continue <laughs> to do that that's an interesting way of looking at that that's a well we've said throughout the year that his team is either really good or it's really bad and he's had two excellent weeks in a top score two weeks in a row i'm, I'm not sure he can continue to do that <laughs> over 20 weeks that means he has put up 10 percent of his total points in two weeks 
Yeah, yeah, and I, you pointed out last week that his pitching staff has been very consistent recently. Yes. You get a 12 out of your pitching staff, you got a pretty good chance to win your game. I expect them to continue to do so, and and I think I think what, what Tim just pointed out lends itself to Mike's team having a chance to continue. that They were so bad for a while there in the middle of the season, and you know, when, when you talk about streaks and, and slumps, um, a lot of the time you, you think of it in small snippets, but, you know, maybe he just happened to get a bunch of guys that bookend half a season of bullshit with explosions because <laughs> he started out well and, you know, he did it for, for four weeks then. So let's hope, it's, uh, I hope he doesn't continue it for another couple of weeks. That could be, or it could be that, you know, we have we have an entire regular season of, of history of this team and he's gone way up or he's gone way down. And, and that's, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Some some of what I've noticed out of my team the last couple of weeks, kind of we we had talked about not having such a consistent team when I made some trades. So there is a volatility to this team. I don't worry as much when they get down early because I've seen them swing back on the weekend yeah. several times since I put those new players in place, and they did it again today. That's not something I want to be banking on next Sunday to stay in the tournament, but it, it is there. And that's the current history of the team. It's not the same team I started with, so it's a little little tougher to gauge it. You know, it is what it is. I lost, so now I have to win two in a row. 55.35 in a loss is... That's just shitty. I feel bad for you. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I I was sitting there thinking, this must be what it feels like to, to have been Tim all this this entire season. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that you can do it and then losing this, this game when you had the yeah. second highest score. Uh, I mean, I've, I've virtually erased your points lead in the standings at this point, Jack. The team that I have can score enough points to win. It's obviously. Is my pitching going to keep me in it? I have to say, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. I appreciate where you're at but <laughs> i would rather lose by the score i did than lose 55 to 40 and wonder where i'm going to get points from next week to try and stay in it next week is going to be i just have no idea how to predict this i i, I just I, I look at this and say flip a coin i have no idea what's going to happen well there there are certainly four teams that, that any one of them could win it i mean mikey showed that this week good for him he erased the home field advantage and, and took it to me. Got to return the favor. Once again, we, we kind of joked about it at the end of the podcast last week, um, but but literally every scenario that, that was expected or, or presented, we were wrong. Uh, not only on the games, again, I kind of joked that, you know, Mike and Scott were going to, um, but but even the matchups, and they said nobody wanted to play me. Everybody <laughs> wanted to play Mike. You know what I mean? It's, it's just... <laughs> I, I think that is probably the lesson of 23 straight weeks of doing this is that we have no fucking idea. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, we, <laughs> we have no idea. Right, exactly. I used to think that we could make money giving out fantasy advice. <laughs> I think we can. We just have to be comfortable with the fact that it's all sales and no substance. Yeah, it's still <laughs> baseball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Well, let's move over to the Omission Commission and Jack's Wax Packs. This was a game that, again, had a turn late in the week. I thought this was going to go Jack's Wax Pax's way. It ended up going a Mission Commission's way, 48 to 44.85. Early on, Scott was sending out texts. Uh, almost, I won't say he was conceding defeat, but he certainly wasn't confident in any way, shape, or form. And look, this is a team that threw out the Phillies pitching staff on a playoff week, which was shocking to me. I don't understand Scotty's player picks other than the fact that he picks the right players at the right time. But Nomar Mazzara, who hasn't played for Scotty since he picked him up in a trade, throws up a 7.6 this week. I couldn't, I just absolutely couldn't believe it. Alex Bregman, another guy that saw maybe a couple of games duty throughout the year, 5.8 points in the DH spot. And then Mike Napoli. And, and Jack, if you remember early on in episodes three and four, you talked about Mike Napoli. You talked about how he helped you win a championship and how... Yep. You felt a sense of loyalty and loving the guy, and it was tough not to have him. And then the guy throws up a tremendous 6.8 against you. Now, I, I will say that I did have some sympathy for you on that one particular player, and then seeing the Philly staff against you in a win. You know, like you said, it, it looked like I was going to win throughout the week all the way up until, honestly, he started to come back a little bit Friday, made a decent, the, the big run was Saturday, and then today just blew by my guys. The, the uh, Maybe the age is showing they didn't do shit 
shit this week. <laughs> so um, I did not deserve to win by any means. But yeah, it was extra tough dropping to uh, to those guys. You know, the the few guys like you said that he just inserted his hell of a job. Great calls. Uh, whether he was forced upon Napoli or not, like I, I was forced upon Napoli and, mm-hmm. and That's ended right. up winning a championship with him. So you know, great job on the calls. And uh, this week it wouldn't have mattered who the fuck my team played. So hopefully they come back with a little more fucking vigor next week. These guys need to fucking turn it around quick. Yeah, no time for bullshit. This is playoffs, baby. No loser games. This is all about winning games, right? Had really hoped to have uh, Correa back by this point, but he's an average healer, so it's not going to happen. God damn it. Dr. Trout, get some, <laughs> get some, get some PEDs, Correa. Yeah. <laughs> Pujols in his two-week broken wrist from That's right. That's right. It's out there. We can build a better player. Well, listen, congratulations to frequent listeners, Scott with Omission Commission and Mikey with Legal Injection. Yeah, Um, I know this was tough for these guys to be on here, but a lot of respect going both your ways. And I think uh, Scotty and Mikey, you both understand these guys are competitors to the max and they're going to put their best lineups in with every trick in the book that they have and know of and stat that they can pull out. I think it's going to be an exciting second week. Uh, First week lived up to billing. So let's see how second week goes. Okay, so let's take a break, refresh our drinks, and be back in a few minutes. So, Bockers, since we didn't have Greg here this week, we were kind of missing him, and I went back and rummaged into some old tapes and found some stuff that Greg, Joe, and myself recorded way back in April. So the audio was not so good. We didn't really have our chops going, but it was a great segment on what we'd like our walk-up music to be. So I'm going to give it to you here and maybe make this podcast a collector's edition. Who knows? Anyways, hope you enjoy it, Bockers. is uh, Van Halen, not Van Hagar, but Van Halen, with Ain't Talking About Love. And suddenly I've gone into a 70s radio drive-time DJ voice, and I don't know why. <laughs> but that, that is my, that's my walk-up music, guys. And so when, you know, when we started first talking about walk-up music, um, you know, sure, I, I consulted my current iTunes playlist, and I was wading through the Ray LaMontagne's and the David Gray's, and the uh, Kobe Calais, but then I realized, no, if I was actually a baseball player having walk-up music, I would be in my youth, and I would uh, want something that would really fire me up and hopefully inspire the crowd and uh, maybe instill a little fear into the opposing pitcher's heart. And so I I looked back into my, my memory, and I thought about some of the music that I used to use to motivate myself in high school. And so, yeah, I'm dating myself with that song, but, uh, you know, for me, it's all about, 
something that's going to inspire some adrenaline. It's got to be very over the top in its masculine tone. And for me, uh, ain't talking about love. It doesn't get more masculine. It doesn't get more kind of misogynistic in a friendly packaged way <laughs> than David Lee, you know? And so, uh, you know, that, that's the song that I came up with. I, I thought about a few, but uh, you guys can tell it, it starts out strong and it just gets stronger. And so that's what I would want to be playing as I walked up to the plate. I love, love it. it. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, to me, all of those things that you hit on, it worked with me. It, it absolutely worked with me. And I, I don't, I mean, I would think that if you were 10 years old and hearing that riff, that guitar riff, I mean, Eddie Van Halen hits something there that, that vibrates well beyond just my eardrums. I mean, it, it, it is a great song. I don't know how you couldn't be just pumped up. Right. That was great. Absolutely. That was yeah. great. the viking horns will scare the hell out of the pitcher and out of that or he's one of those country pop fans um that is uh night wish from the dark passion play album a song called poet and the pendulum which i kind of agonized over that i actually had several picks that i that i sorted through but i chose that just because it's so kind of like greg said it's it's aggressive. It, it gets me pumped up when I hear that part of it. I, I, it's it's sort of like Garth in the in the blue uh, car there in that movie where he starts banging his head to the Queen song, Bohemian Rhapsody. And that's, that that gets me every time. That section of that song. Now, if if they chose another part of it, it might not have been because it's. I I always say that particular album was like ABBA crossed with Metallica. Because they had the wrong singer for that one particular album, but that that song gets me fired up, and I, I I'll out myself on this too because I had to I, I texted Tim earlier today I had to Google what walk up music is because the last time I actually saw a game in person they didn't have that, so I wasn't really aware of what it was. So um, so Joe, take this in, in the spirit in which I offer it, which is in, in kindness and friendship. And it, this is very complimentary. I, I, I thought of Steve Sable as I was listening to that music in NFL films. Yeah. And that, that, that would have been a, a great uh, accompaniment to some, you know, uh, week 15 important game montage of, you know, guys uh, hitting helmets uh, on the field. That, that's, that's what came to my mind was, Steve Sable in one of his terrible sweaters. Or a succession of running backs diving into the end zone or something. Absolutely. I, I can see that. I'll take that. It was, uh, it's, it sounds epic. So, honestly, if you hit a weak ground to the third after that type of walk-up <laughs> music, you should head your head in shame. I mean, that is like, I don't know how you can do anything but crush a 500-foot home run. Say the pitchers get well, That's a good point. If If... If I were actually hit like I did in real life, that might have been a problem. I might have had to change my music. Uh, I, it, it's a really good point. You both mentioned pitchers. And, Greg, you, you've brought up Rick Ankiel a couple of times. I just heard a podcast where he was interviewed. He actually wrote a book. I'm going to read the book. And he talked about the intimate connection that the pitcher and the batter have. And from the perspective of, you know, when you're a pitcher, it's a very different relationship in the at-bat for obvious reasons than when you're at in right field, you know, how he approached that interaction and actually how he coaches young players in that interaction was amazing. And, and it, it's all about intimidation. It's all about that. You get yourself into a mindset that that batter is trying to take food out of my family's mouth. Mm. Right. And the batter did quite the opposite, right. That, that I, this guy is in my way. And, you know, I think that, uh, oftentimes it's so easy to watch baseball and see, and it seems almost clinical, but there is a tense personal connection between the hitter and the pitcher that uh, I think is lost oftentimes. And in fact, if, if they had an NFL films like kind of approach that it'd probably be pretty neat to see and to really kind of uh, put that drama 
uh, to it. And a lot of really good baseball writing by players that have played the game, that comes through. I don't know that it, it comes through as much uh, in, in kind of the television generation. I, I wa- end up watching StatCast more than I do really th- trying to see is the pitcher looking at the body language of the hitter. Well, it's interesting. I think in, you know, baseball, um, it's the offensive statistics that get the casual fan excited. You know, I was at the game Sunday. It was a 2-1 pitcher's duel, and that was great. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I think that pitchers are often judged not by what their overt actions, but by the absence of success of the hitter. So, you know, mm. they're, gaining, they're getting recognition because the hitter failed to do something, not because they did something in their own right. So to your point, you know, people, I think, kind of naturally ascribe the aggressor role to the batter because he's up there to do something and he either succeeds or the batter fails. You never hear about, oh, the pitcher succeeded in that interaction. You know, it's, it's always their, their best hope is to not get hit, you know, rather than um, the batter's best hope is to not get put out. You know, it's interesting. interesting. Yeah, it's an astute observation. Right. And how do you how do you market a game that is built on failure? Right. And that, you know, for you, Greg, to appreciate a pitcher's duel, I think is, you know, says a lot. And, and knowing you, I, I, I fully understand that and uh, can appreciate that. But it's such an integral part of the game. It's fascinating. She was raised out I'm in the mix now, searching for the right spot to hit now. Get down. Climax, let's make it last. I tried to warn you, girl, you wouldn't listen. Now let's get it on. Oh, you made me wild. Don't do that. Chill. Wait a minute, baby. Let me please your back. You talk a good one, shorty. Love you, making me sweat. How a live nigga like it, girl? Nice and wet. We get it on till the break of dawn. Damn, you're large. How a big girl like it, daddy. So LL Cool J's doing it, right? And, you know, this actually came about, so for me, when I thought about this segment, it was always uh, Mama Said Knock You Out, right? Because that, that, is, a, that is a song that, that I really appreciate and love. And then, um, Greg, you and I had an interesting side conversation <laughs> about walk-up music. And, you know, here we are talking about fantasy baseball, and, and we kind of blend reality with fantasy and i think that's something that's pretty interesting with this podcast and i i really thought about that ll cool j album and and there's actually two sides to it there's the mama said knock you out which is socially acceptable to kind of put out there and i think we were on a conference call one time and by accident i think i had that playing in my office greg uh <laughs> it's a long time ago but you picked up on it you know that's that's a very violent song it actually talks about taking out a town i mean i, I was listening to it going holy crap this is uh, definitely not post 9-11 talk but it had all that kind of macho you know i'm gonna take it to you and i'm gonna win you know kind of ali standing over frazier right yet that album doing it is the song that i love the most out of it and it's got this incredible riff um that just I, it, it, for 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 quite a while, it's always put me in the perfect mindset. But our conversation was about a different song that Greg was gonna going to use, and I gave him shit. I gave you shit, Greg, about well, that's not family friendly, and I was already imposing on you some kind of freaking rule about what our walk up song would be, and I just I felt like absolute shit, and I thought, you know, I, and you got the humor in it. We were kind of going back yeah. and forth, but. Um, uh, you don't mind if I share the name of that song, do you? No, no, I, I don't. But but it's an interesting observation because I mean, clearly our society's our society is much more comfortable with violence Correct. than it is with sex. You know, and so you're the song that you selected, um, you know, doing it. Sure, that has a suggestive title, but it's the song itself that is like, ooh, that's 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 fairly suggestive. <laughs> but my different song, beat, and you got Donna Summer. Well, we, we could play. We could play I'm my song for Joe, and I guarantee you that the the, the title of the song would uh, not not come to mind. You could listen to the entire song, and it wouldn't come to mind. I, I would do that, but it, to me, it was it was interesting because I'm never going to walk up to the plate, right? Yeah. In my own mind, if I'm going to give uh, an amazing presentation, right, 
and no one can hear what's going on in my headphones, well, then doing it's going to be on there. It's an interesting thought about to be a player in this sport, that there's this the private persona and the public persona. The most successful and most marketable players create this public persona that seems like a private persona. Right. What I realized just in that decision alone, it's impossible to do. It's interesting that, that you were you were in your song selection, the way you described the reason you selected it was it's always put you in a certain piece or a state of mind. It's helped you to focus. So in in, in, in that song selection, I imagine you know, you're walking to the plate, um, trying to channel a moment of Zen where I was just like, you know what, I need to you know, some false bravado, you know, I, I need to, uh, for what I lack in courage or, or maybe, uh, I, I'm needing here. I need to project. I need to channel some of David Lee Ross bravado to, to, you know, uh, empower me, you know, right. where you were seeking, you know, you were, you were going in, I was going out, you know, I was going external. And, and the, the more, re, the more relaxed you are at the plate, the better you're going to do. So we're probably both screwed with the music Absolutely. we chose. Yeah. I like your insight, Tim. I'm, I'm changing my walk of music to uh, Porcelain by Moby. It's going <laughs> to, it's going to so thoroughly chill me out that I'm going to be ready to, to see what the pitcher's doing. Excellent. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Walkers, I hope you enjoyed that. Now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. And uh, boys, I, I just, I, I just want you to know that the white wristband protest has been temporarily halted. Thank God. Yes, news came from MLB that the commissioner will meet with them, and so the white wristband protest has been halted. So you're going to have to explain to the old guy what the white wristband protest is. Umpires protesting being verbally abused by Major League Baseball players, and this stems from. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This this stems from an Ian Kinsler interview uh, after he was thrown out of a game by Angel Hernandez, the infamous yeah, Angel Hernandez. Uh, Ian Kinsler was thrown out for arguing balls and strikes and got on the podium and said, this guy just needs to go. Everybody knows it. He sucks at his job. He just needs to leave. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Pretty much. You know, that's, yeah, pretty yeah. much. I actually have it, the quotes, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, so, you know, I, now I have heard for years how bad Angel Hernandez is. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Just shitty calls behind the plate, first base, infield, doesn't matter. This guy blows. And my guess is that the other umpires know it as well. They're professionals too. So why they would stick by him, I have no fucking idea. Now, I, it did come up that Joe West, who's an umpire that I, I think is – has made great calls and and seems to be, you know, by all accounts on the up and up. He was suspended for three games for actually talking in an interview with Sports Illustrated about how Adrian Beltre is is the biggest complainer in the major leagues. And there's been some talk that maybe Joe West was kind of saying that in a joking way. It did come up that way. But still, are you kidding me? The umpire's feelings get hurt? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, so so what are they doing with these white rest, uh, wristbands stuffing them down the players throats or how, how does this protest working some umpires were wearing white wristbands to show solidarity with other yeah. umpires against That's, being verbally abused so That's it's all. like it's as effective as liking somebody on facebook or something like that yeah pretty much right <laughs> Well, let's just say this. They did get the commissioner's attention. He's going to meet with them. I mean, come fucking on. Like, really. Like, Toughen up, Ginger. (laughs) You're an umpire. You're supposed to be verbally abused. It's part of the entertainment. Just get the calls right. A lot of respect. Are going to kick fans out of the games when they complain at the umpire, too? (laughs) As you're seeing eye dog, I'm sorry, sir. You're going to have to leave. You're banned from the ballpark for life. I, I am sure that that 
that what Kinsler said is not the worst things this guy's ever fucking heard. <laughs> right. Twenty in 2010, 22% of the players asked said he was the worst umpire in the fucking majors. No shit. That was seven fucking years ago. <laughs> the guy's still out there making bad calls. I love fucking Kinsler. I love... You know, they, they, in addition to some of the comments he made, then somebody, they asked uh, if he was surprised at how quickly uh, Hernandez ejected him from the opener. He said, no, I'm surprised at how bad of an umpire he is. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how for as many years he's been in the league, he could be that bad. He needs to reevaluate his career choice. He really does. Bottom line. Don't these guys get evaluated on a yearly basis? You would think, uh, but uh, like I said, in 2010, everyone thought he sucked. And well, now, but, but some of that's probably, oh, I don't like the guy, so oh, no, I'm going to say he sucks. So he's bad. No, I, I, I understand completely what you're saying. He's a show-off and he's a jerk. Did you ever see him call a game? The strike zone yes. moves no, any yes, inning. Yes, I have. Yeah. One of the things I, I thought was interesting, and maybe it was just the words he used, whatever, but he, Kinsler actually said that, that Hernandez was messing with the games blatantly, mm-hmm. which I just thought, you know, uh, maybe he just means he sucks at his, at his job, but oh. um, I thought those were interesting comments. Yeah. He said he was messing with the games blatantly. That was, you know, in, in between all the other stuff. So I, I don't know if there's more to it or, just the words that he chose, but that he's changing. It has to do with changing the game. He's changing the game. He needs to find another job. He really does. You know what? I read that as incompetence as well, but hearing you say that again and just kind of reflecting on what you're saying, I mean, could he be implying this is another NBA type situation where he's actually, maybe it's just the conspiracy. I'm taking Greg's role for the, the, maybe it's just the conspiracy. (laughs) I don't know. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, like I said, obviously the the guy. My my point is that that's um you know verbal abuse like that. I don't even like. <laughs> I, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Kisler probably said worse to him and his to his face that night. I, I maybe that's what he's implying. I don't know. But. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty sad. That that's what passes for abuse. That guy couldn't last a, a, a two hours on the couch with me and my friends. That's the. <laughs> well, I was gonna say. I mean, listening to you and your brother talk to each other, or you and Mikey is. <laughs> yeah, he'd never make it to a fucking don't, Thanksgiving. Don't think he'd last in this league very long. So I, it got me thinking though about you know what would we protest in our league in our in the juiceless fantasy baseball league? What would we protest? And, and how would we do it? Would we protest CBS Sports for having a shitty site that we pay them for every year? You know, would we protest an owner, you know, not putting in Freddie Freeman, right? Would we? Ah, uh, hey, hey, I would, I would, I would protest uh, the Major League Baseball coaches, managers for resting their players on Sundays. That that needs to be fixed. Okay, all right. So I'm I'm down with you on that one. So how would we do that? Well, I hadn't well really <laughs> it would it would be about as effective as a white wristband. You'd, yeah. you'd write we'll a sternly, about a sternly written email to whoever the drone is at CBS's office that reads those emails, if they even do, and not get a response, and that would be your protest, I guess. I think Maybe. we would feed it to Steve Phillips and have oh, him yeah. talk about it on <laughs> XM Radio. Right. Hey, there you That's go. Good. Right. Much quicker. Much quicker route. No, Steve, don't do that. It's a trap. <laughs> Have one of his grossly underpaid interns actually listen to this on two times the speed and feed it to Steve. Run now, leave. That's right. Go <laughs> tell him. This will skyrocket Steve's career if he takes on this protest. I mean, a, a protest has got to be something that that causes action. You know, I guess I guess to answer your question, you leave CBS and go to a different company to host the league. That's no. your protest. You fire them. We're held hostage. We're held hostage. We're not unionized like the umpires, but we are held hostage in the fact that this is the only site that we could find that allows us to do full pitching staffs. And Absolutely. yeah, so we were able to customize it. I don't know if we've gone and done an audit 
We're also lazy, so uh, there may be others. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you protest, last... but you're too tired. The, 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 <laughs> the last time we checked was about six or seven years ago. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but you know, the other thing is, and this is a strange thing, we we actually have a lot of history loaded into the league that yeah. I don't know how to extract. So like mm-hmm. every year we got to give them a you know 150 bucks just to, to kind of keep that there. And, and I found this yeah, year going true. back into the history has been, been pretty big. Yeah. I like to every year when I lose, I like to go back and look at that as well, Tim, back to the glory days, <laughs> glory days. You have to, you have look to at do the that young girls. I, yeah. Well, <laughs> actually I go back and I like, man, I, I was fucking good for a long time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy who has uh, Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and Trey Turner. Woo! Gosh, my team is so horrible. This is this is why it's easy to be a loser. So I was watching the games last week, and on the same night, Bryce Harper wrenched his knee on what looked like an awful, awful play. Oh, yeah, that was ugly. And then Arenado was hit on the wrist the uh, same yeah. Yeah, night. I saw that. And if I had been going into the playoffs, I I would have been shitting bricks. But I was like, eh, okay, I hope they heal over the over the winter. You know, four, eight, ten weeks ago, I was I wanted to just throw my phone against a rock every Sunday. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Ah. So yeah, yeah, it's easy to be a loser for sure. It's easy to be a loser. So yeah, I had I had one of those moments while I was enjoying the Red Sox beating the snot out of the Yankees again today, where. I'm I'm within half a point in my game, and who comes up with the bases loaded but Mookie Betts, and it's like, okay, this could actually happen. This could Uh-oh. actually happen. And then he strikes out. And it's like, not only did I it take away from my enjoyment of my team's game, it, it crushed my chances of, of beating Mikey. Well, yeah, you know, I had to root against the Phillies, and yeah. we don't get to win very often so we <laughs> two games a fucking week and now i'm pissed off about it this son of a bitch and it's tough i i will say that i you know i felt a little i mean mookie Betts has not been lighting the world on fire however for everybody who doesn't trade with me just look at fucking john carlos stanton look at charlie yeah. blackman yeah you look should at be, fucking yeah, look at- yeah right i mean look at devers benintendi bregman I there are a lot of players out there in the playoffs that I I helped kind of sprinkle across my 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 MLB fantasy baseball pixie dust uh, across this landscape. And, Is that your uh, way of saying you you've spread your seed throughout the league? Uh, no, that's that's pretty <laughs> disgusting. Um, did no not here. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm gonna say no. no. I am uh, uh, again. <laughs> even in- <laughs> Somehow, pixie dust sounds way more masculine at this moment than than <laughs> what you were suggesting. Even in the loss, I uh, once again am am so pleased with uh, with having Blackman on my roster that that while I I never like to allow you to advertise positive trades this one this this time i have no choice to uh, giving up <laughs> these th- those guys <laughs> that you did and again i know you still got a great team going into next year but uh but yeah the, the stanton and and blackman i, I would venture to guess it, it, that no two players maybe not even coming from the same team just in, in anyone that's ever been traded i don't know they they may have had the the best month each from you know what I mean after yeah. being traded, yeah. Uh, either of them have slowed down. I think they've both had nothing but sevens pluses since they've yeah. gotten onto our team. Yeah, that changed changed the course of the season in a couple of ways. Chuck but nasty, not, not not to win, but we're both fucking <laughs> losing. <laughs> Still curse. Can't say nothing about the curse. Yeah, man. But... We should have had Mikey on. She at least throw a hex his way, right, Joe? Uh, you know, maybe get Scotty on. Try. You guys are blowing this stuff way out of proportion. So, Chuck Nasty, did you make that nickname up, Jack, or was that something you'd heard? I uh, he yeah he um uh he had referenced it. They talked about it during a Rockies game. Yeah, so um I heard it recently. I just heard it. But... So we have the high HQ, right? Which does, yeah. but we also have to have. You know, like a Chuck Nasty, like a like a yeah. CN, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> like 
you know, because, uh, you know, the CN quotient, right? That, you don't have to be freaking pretty to be fucking badass, right? right. I mean, look, I, I don't know if this is good or bad, but my wife certainly loves Randy Johnson's nickname and brings it up, brought it up last night at the barbecue. <laughs> is there a better nickname and, uh, than, than the big unit? That's funny when they, they were, you know, the, the players weekends coming up with the, I had mentioned last week about jerseys, uh, you know, being able to put their nicknames on the jerseys. And somebody mentioned how many big unit jerseys would have sold had they done this back in his <laughs> oh, time yeah. to the fans. I totally agree. I totally agree. Hey, we were at this barbecue last night and the reason that Tammy was talking about Randy Johnson's nickname. We were at a, a friend's house and they had had some other friends over that we had never met before. The, the uh, I was talking to the the friends of our friends, and Roy was was the guy's name, and a big guy, six foot three, uh, in his early sixties, and just a lot of fun to talk to. And we were talking about all kinds of stuff. He was talking about a truck he wants to build and motorcycles, and uh, my wife rolls up and says. <laughs> Hey, are you guys talking about what Roy used to do? I don't think so. Like, Roy, what did you used to do? And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, what? Was he like a freaking, I don't know, a sniper in the Marines? Or like, you know, Lion what? tamer. Yeah, like, like, wow, like, what possibly could my wife be so excited to, like, what could he possibly have done? Well, my beautiful wife was right on point because I was talking to Roy Thomas, who pitched in the uh, 70s and 80s. He was a long reliever. For the Astros, the Phillies, yeah, Astros, Phillies, the Seattle Mariners, and I just thought of every episode of Atlas Bucked and like, <laughs> holy shit, Roy, <laughs> let me get you a beer because I got a lot of goddamn questions, and I just, I, I just started talking, and, and once he found out I was a baseball fan, he went into a different mode as well. You know, because he's he's loved this game. He played it at the highest level. Everything about this game. He was, by the way, he was signed by the Phillies, Jack, when he was 17. Nice. But he was awesome. So first thing we talked about was the 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 bullpen shenanigans. And, and I said, listen, Roy, you got to tell me. Like, we know crazy shit goes on. We know that these, the pranks go on for days, series, weeks, months. And he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. What happens was because he was long relief that he had to stay kind of jacked up to like about the sixth inning. So he had to be ready. He had to be he had to be engaged. He couldn't really get involved in any goofiness that was going on. Once it got past the fifth inning and, and he really felt like he wasn't coming in and he said something interesting. He said the good managers, you knew if you were going to go in or not depending on what that what was happening in the game. And so I thought that was super interesting. I know we had talked in the past about managers and how they treat their bullpens and maybe, you know, you have closer by committee versus people locked into the roles. Roy absolutely thought rock, locking into the roles was critical and important. You know, he said that in the press booth and the announcers, the radio announcers, television announcers, they were always watching the bullpen. He said they always had binoculars. And they were they were all up on what was happening. He said that I said, well, you know, like what? And he was a little like, mm, you know, uh, I'll tell you a few things. Maybe if, if I come on the podcast, I'll tell you some more. But he said that one of the things they'd love to do was uh, they'd have a guy just load up with a bunch of sunflower seeds. And if they saw a pretty lady, they'd have a mouthful of, of sun sunflower seeds and he'd have a bag of peanuts and he'd say, you want some peanuts? But if you've ever tried to talk with a mouthful of sunflower seeds, you can imagine what it actually sounds like. And he said that they would gauge the reaction as to whether she was someone who, you know, they were going to have partying with that night or, or not. <laughs> um, oh, so, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it, it was uh, it was super interesting. And, and I thought just kind of understanding the game, he talked about being in the bullpen the first game of the series was the most critical. So if there were any shenanigans that were going to be going on, you wouldn't see him as much in the first game of the series because they were all, all the bullpen pitchers were watching the batters. And he said that they were watching the batters to see what adjustments the batters had made. He could tell. 
if they were, if their shoulder, he actually physically showed me, if their left shoulder, right-hand hitter, if their left shoulder was coming out sooner, then you knew you were going to have to pound them away, that that was going to be your out pitch. Or if they were cheating and kind of throwing, going out over the plate, that you want to you want to work them inside. Get them in, yeah. Yeah. He was so good at this that after Major League Baseball, when he was coaching at the college level, he could see instantly what the kids were doing, and he could have his pitchers, he could t- tell his pitchers what to do. Now, whether they could execute or not was was one thing. But it was amazing. But the challenge was that when he had to tell his hitters how to adjust, he couldn't do it. So he had to get another coach that had was offensive-minded to say how they do that. And it just the whole game of adjustments came alive in full technical. That's cool. Yeah, hearing him talk about it. So that was that was phenomenal. So I I you know I said okay, well, so if the hitter's making the adjustments. What adjustments would you make? And and given that he was long relief, that he had started some games, he had to look at the game a little more differently than say a little differently than say the closer, right? Who is really just there to focus on that you know final three or four outs. We talked about arm slotting and how he trained himself to throw four different pitches from the same arm slot, so that mm. the, the batter couldn't see it. And he taught he actually showed me the grip. I know this is not a video podcast, but the grip between his slider and his curve and what he did with with his thumb made all the difference. And he said, yeah, he said, as your arm is coming across the moment, your arm is parallel with your ear. That's it. The pitch is done. That, 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 that's where it's at. And that's what the hitters looking at. And one of the things that he said that he did was in the fifties and sixties, the pitchers were called, there were a lot of pitchers out there called thumbers. And so when you curve, you snap your th- your thumb up when you threw the curve to get the spin on it. Right. That's how I was taught to throw. Yes. Throw and so what he was taught to do was to put his thumb in in between his his uh, pointer finger and ring finger, so that the batter could not pick up on his thumb coming through. So they didn't know mm-hmm. uh, what was happening. And he said oh, that shit. so much of pitching is if you've got it that night, you've got it. If you don't, you don't. And you just have to make peace with that. And the catcher understands it, and the catcher has to adjust his calling of the game based on what you have, which I thought was fantastic. Now, the, the best part of this was uh, I was talking to him. I was like, come on, man. Like, you got it. I mean, there must have been some great moments. I was totally digging on him, and he loved <laughs> that I was a fan, right? And, and I, I was happy for him because he ran into someone who just so appreciates the game at a level that I, I – that, yeah, that sure. Yeah, found yeah, energizing. Yeah, everyone. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and he's he's been kind of soured on kids now. He's he said they're they're uncoachable. He's, it's really hard to coach them now. And I think back to what Dusty was talking about earlier on, and just yeah. how hard it is to coach these kids and the parents and all that stuff. But he said, well, one of my most memorable moments was Tim. You know, I know you're a Red Sox fan. Was was striking out Wade Boggs looking. And I gave him a high five. I was like, yeah. You know, and he said, well, well I, hey, I thought you're a Red Sox fan. I'm like, I am, but I hate that fucking guy. And he said, well, he said, well, the best part was that, 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 uh, I struck him out looking. You like to strike out Wade Boggs looking was just, you just don't do it. And he said, he, he got him with a slider away that he knew that he could get him a slider away that Wade Boggs wasn't expecting it and didn't swing, and that he was pissed off. He was cursing all the way back to the dugout. And he said, but I didn't give a fuck. So, you know, he went back to the dugout. Who cares? He probably had a chicken sandwich. I could care less. I struck him up. <laughs> the only thing that would make that that story better is if Angel Hernandez was the umpire. Uh, yeah, I don't think Angel <laughs> Hernandez was umpiring then. But, yeah, so it was it was super cool. And that is. The, the fact that, uh, you know, part of what we thought is is absolutely what it's like. It's just a shit show out there, and they love it. He said that it would depend on whoever the bullpen coach was does have a big influence on that. If the bullpen coach is a tight ass, uh, then it was it was less fun. He said, but he felt like given how how the bullpen has to pitch and when they have to do it, they have to be loose. That if there isn't shenanigans going on, it actually hurts the bullpen. That these guys so aren't as loose. Yeah, yeah. benefit. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. That makes sense. Keep them loose. Keep them. Yeah. I, I I would imagine that there are different personalities too, though. That that there are some guys out there that want to focus on the game as it happens, as it unfolds, 
to stay into it. I wonder, I wonder how hard it is to reconcile those two things. He said that he had to, you know, because of his role that he Mm -hmm. had to kind of stay into the game. Now he said if, you know, he had thrown four and a half innings the night before and, you know, they had had a you know good lead early on. He he could relax a little more situationally, but that most of the time he had to stay kind of away from some of that stuff. And 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 the other pitchers wouldn't mess with him. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering. That's his job, right? So they're not how hard they uh-huh. try and get you to join in on it. It was good, man. Like he and he made it through the minors. Like he grounded out, you know, son of a marine. So you know he was he had he had a lot of grit, a lot of determination. Obviously, a lot of natural talent. He talked about, uh, you know, he was drinking a beer and he said that he had a buddy of his that played with them, the Mariners, that couldn't bend his elbow, a, a pitcher as well. And that uh, one of the reasons was they, they put this, um, he called it um, uh, horse, horse liniment. Um, and this, his buddy was in a contract year and he rubbed it on and he said it smelled like, it made, it made your sweat smell like garlic. So he always knew, like, and it was horrible. And he said he always knew which guys were doing it. But what happened was if the arm was hurting a bit, that that put this liniment on it so that they could keep pitching through that contract year. He said, but, you know, he's his arm's fucked up bad now. So, wow. um, but, you know, even back then, you know, they were trying to find some edge. And he said, you know, he ended up making some good money off it. So, you know, what are you going to do? You know, he can afford to buy the beers now. But again, I thought about, you know, what would you do in those times? You know, I, it's just what the players did and everybody knew it. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything illegal about horse liniment either. It's not a, not a controlled substance. I, I don't even know what it is. I didn't search it. Like, I don't know. I, it, to me, it sounded like just fucking... something you put on a horse to soothe the muscle. Oh, oh okay. All right. So that wasn't, uh, that wasn't a PED, I guess kind of a PED, but not really. It's like a painkiller or something or. A relaxer? Or? I'm not a veterinarian, but it does play one on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. It's cool. No, that's really cool. It's, a, um, it's always cool. You get the opportunity to, to shoot the shit with somebody from the inside of something that you're into. That it's uh, That's awesome. At a barbecue, no less, right? So you're just throwing back beers, having a good time. I ignored everybody else at the party. It reminds me, I don't know if you guys ever saw the, uh, there's a, a Chris Rock uh, stand-up where he's talking about um, guys hanging out with, um, you know, friends, the wives are friends, and then you're meeting, like, the the husband of the other friends, <laughs> right. and, uh, and it's a, then he goes right to baseball, so I like baseball, you like baseball, I like baseball, <laughs> and, then, and then Tim's actually in that situation with somebody that played baseball and they're talking about everything except baseball <laughs> to where his wife has to come in and say, Hey, Tim likes baseball. You like baseball. <laughs> come on. Tammy's much smoother than that. Uh, she would sound like that. Certainly is. Well, I'm sure he enjoyed talking to somebody that cared about the game the way he did. He did. He was heartbroken, man. He just, he, he feels really bad that the game itself is just, that these kids just don't want to be coached. And there's probably a little old school, right? We see a lot of new players coming up yeah. and having success. And, you know, it is a game that we talk about that is, is pretty old school. But I think that I think at the at least at the professional level that if you don't want to be coached, you're not going to get very far. You know, it's it's you're going to have to adjust just those very things you guys were talking about. People the other teams are going to make adjustments against you and it's up to you to, to either take the coaching and figure it out. Or you know, I suppose if you're some sort of savant, you can do it on your own, but there aren't too many of those. Yeah. He said that, that the coaches that they're hiring now are actually more like minor league coaches were 10, 15, 20 years ago that they, yeah. they because the kids are coming up so fast that they're not having the chance to learn the game. He said, when he played, the managers didn't teach a shit. You know, right, right. and he they said, were developed yeah. By the time they got, yeah. And he said that the managers were, they, they, it was all about trust. And if the manager's job was on the line, then they would stick with the guys they trusted. But there was, there wasn't any teaching. No, no major league coach really taught him how to pitch. He said it was all in the minors that he had, he'd got the, the training development. And that now, if you look at all the managers that are being brought in, they're, they're very relatable. They're able to keep everybody focused and they teach, they teach, they teach. 
because there's, these kids just aren't in the minors At long the enough. At the youth level, they're not learning the stuff that they did when we were kids. I mean, I, I was talking about throwing a curveball before. That was probably when I was 9 or 10 years old. Somebody oh. taught me to do that, and it was <laughs> another kid. <laughs> oh, this is how you make it curve. Oh, cool. I'm going to do that. I, I thought I this is where. But I wanted to learn how to, to throw a curveball. But now they won't allow you to do it. If they see you doing it, they'll they'll make you stop. Well, it's, I actually think that's good. I think the kids. I, I'm not disagreeing the, with you, but it, the fact is, if you're teaching the fundamentals of that stuff at a later age, of course, they're not going to be as ready. And of course, they still have some learning to do uh, when they when they get into professional ball. Is all I'm saying. Gotcha. Good point. I thought you were going to talk about teaching kids how to throw other kids' heads. You have this <laughs> crazy fascination with. It's with part them. of the game. You gotta, <laughs> hey, it's effective. I'm sensing a willingness to end this podcast a little early tonight. <laughs> Congratulations, Scott. Way to go, man. Great, great job this week. Great calls, and uh, so hopefully, I fucking take your ass out back to back. Yeah, ditto. <laughs> uh, good luck, boys. Uh, good luck to all four of you, uh, Jack, Joe. Uh, good luck on, you know, going back and taking your calculators out and abacai and trying to figure out the best lineup to put in there. And it'll be luck. good for everybody if they're exciting games again this week. I think as long yeah, as I win, right. they were both. Yeah, it, uh, a lot of the times you get you know, lead up into the playoffs and all this drama that's happening. And, and we, again, coming in, couldn't have been a whole lot more dramatic. Right. And uh, um, this week was, they were both two very good games that, that came down to the last day. So um, at least we got that, right, Joe? We did. And Mikey has not scored another. Oh, and Carpenter's up, though. He's got two guys. One's in the hole, one's up. But they're Congrats, both in the ninth Mike. inning. <laughs> Had well to done. claw and fight your way to get in this motherfucker again. Right, once right? we've yep. said it over and over and over, it, it it's a brand new season starts all over and, again. So and you had to come, you had to overcome the point and a half uh, freebie, and now this week it'll be on your side. I'm surprised no one's picked Mikey to win, so he loses. I, I you know, that, yeah, that's probably the biggest sign of endorsement is we none of us have picked him to win. So I think I said last week that anybody <laughs> can win it. Oh, okay. Anybody. Can you be more specific? Well, we all know who should win it, but... What the... Suddenly, Joe, Mr. Clear, <laughs> low-key, right, can never... You always know... Even Scotty said, absolutely, Joe was the only one that sacked up and was clear. Now, Joe suddenly becomes very obtuse, almost Greg-like in his inability to come down hard on a, one side or the other. It's a low-key's alter ego. Murky. <laughs> Murky. Murky, right? <laughs> Talk about soft playing it. Holy shit. Oh, my God. I'm going to fucking win this thing. Shut up, everybody else. There you go, Joe. <laughs> Woo! Joe Swagger. All and right. Next week, Joe's off the podcast because he's out of the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the penalty? No. You're gone from the island. No, no, your your penalty is you have to stay on and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Right. That's, uh, yeah. That's what it is. That's what yeah, it is. If I lose again this week, kick me the fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, boys. Well, uh, love you both. Have a great night. This is so much fun. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. All Take right. Care. Thanks for sharing the barbecue story. That was pretty cool. It was. Thanks for listening. Bye, boys. <laughs>
he's pleasing, I can't get no relief. talk just humble head down in the locker room you know we just was that depressing <laughs> it was pretty fucking depressing 